Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, I'm excited about these next few months because we're going to walk very carefully through one of the great letters of the New Testament, the book of Colossians. This series is called Rooted and Built Up. I'm going to ask you to turn this morning to Colossians chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles in our pews, it's on page 983. Colossians is only four chapters. It's one of Paul's shorter letters, but it is absolutely jam-packed. It is rich. It is incredibly beautiful. There are parts of Colossians that are so soaring and so beautiful that it's almost like it could be put to music. Some of the greatest themes in Paul's writings are really distilled in his letter to the Colossians. And it's about how we as Christians, how we as a church grow together to maturity, how we are rooted and built up in Christ. I'm excited about our journey this spring and summer through Colossians. Let's look this morning just at Paul's introduction to the church at Colossae, and we see that in verses 1 and 2. He introduces himself this way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now at the beginning of a new series, we pray that you would use our journey through Colossians as we just to walk through this, this great epistle that your Holy Spirit would, would challenge us that you would encourage us, that you would, would transform us by the power of your Spirit. Father, as we're going to talk about this morning, your Word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You're able to, uh, to, to do surgery and to, uh, to heal and to encourage and equip and nourish us through your word. And so, Father, as we walk through this letter together, we're we're excited about what you're going to do in our lives, about what you're going to do in our church family through this study. And so we lift it up to you for your glory. And, Father, for these next few minutes, we we just submit ourselves before you, Heavenly Father. We pray that you would just rid our minds and thoughts of, of, of anything else, whatever we're going to do after the service, whatever we brought into this service. And Lord, help us just to lock in on your word right now that we would hear from you by your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a winter day, probably about 20 years ago, and I'd been deer hunting that morning. And I was, I was hunting up in a, a stand, and there was a path that was extending out in both directions from the stand. And a deer walked out into the path, and I took a shot, and I was pretty sure that I had hit the deer, but he didn't fall. It bolted into the woods. So I came down out of the stand and and entered into the woods about where I thought the deer 
went in, and sure enough, I, I picked up a, a, a blood trail, and, and, and I just kept going deeper and deeper into the woods. And of course, deer don't run in a straight line. They're, they're all over the place. So I would kind of probe in different directions, and I'd pick the trail back up, and, and I just I went deeper and deeper in. I was just determined, because one of the things that really grieves me is when I shoot something and I'm, I'm not able to find it. And so uh, for a long time that morning, I, 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 I trailed. And it got to the point where it had been a while since I'd seen any more, any more blood drops or anything. And I'd gone in different directions and I just, I, I couldn't pick up the trail anymore. And I knew at that point, you know, you just gotta, you, you've gotta give it up. Well, at that point, I'll never forget, I, I, I stopped and I looked around me in, in all directions and everything looked the same. <laughs> Everything looked the same. I, I, I had absolutely no idea what, direct, what the direction was and where I'd entered the woods. I had no cell phone. I had no compass with me. I was hunting alone that day. And I, I want to tell you, it was a helpless feeling. I, I was utterly and completely lost. And during the time I'd been searching, it had begun snowing. And so whatever the trail was that I followed going in wasn't going to be there anymore. Well, somehow, uh, God's help, we, we, we made it out. But I'll tell you, that was, that was a helpless feeling, just being without direction. For the past few months, we've been looking at um, the earthly ministry of Jesus through his parables. And then on Palm Sunday, we looked at his cross. And on Easter Sunday, we looked at his resurrection but what happens after the resurrection? After the resurrection, Jesus sends His Spirit and He launches the church. But Jesus doesn't leave the church without direction, without guidance. Letters like Colossians were written to local churches just like ours. They were written to, to, to gatherings of believers that, that, that yearned for instruction. Instruction on all kinds of things. Instruction on, on how to do life together as believers. Uh, instruction on how to, how to grow to maturity in Christ. Instructions about how to reach our community. Instructions on prayer. Instructions on... Uh, parenting, instructions on marriage, instructions on how to represent Christ in the workplace. All these things and more are found in the book of, of Colossians. It's about being rooted and built up in Christ. Now what we're going to do this morning is just sort of introduce the book, and we're going to do that by looking at Paul's introduction of himself to this church. So let's check it out in, in verse 1. The first thing that we see, and he's, he's really talking here, even in these opening verses, about some of the benefits of being a part of a local church like ours. First of all, our local church gives us a place to stand. We have in the church a place to stand. Check out how Paul identifies himself in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, the word apostle literally means one who is sent. And it's used in two ways in the New Testament. There's a general use 
of the word apostle, which just sort of meant a, a messenger, one who was sent out on a mission. But that's not the way that Paul is using it here. Here, Paul is using the word apostle to refer to the office of apostle. There was an office of apostle that existed in the early church. Now, it does not exist in the 21st century church for reasons that we'll get into in a moment because of the qualifications of apostleship. Apostles, like Paul, first of all, were were people who had been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Uh, The apostles were men who had seen the resurrected Christ with their own eyes, and they had been personally commissioned by Christ to be apostles. Um, And so apostles were not self-appointed. Paul alludes to that here in verse 1 when he says he's an apostle by what? By the will of God. He was not self-appointed. Jesus himself appointed Paul to be an apostle. The apostles were given the authority by the resurrected Christ to, to receive and to give the church direct revelation from God. The apostles, like the prophets of the Old Testament, were able to give to God's people direct revelation from Him, much of which was written down. And so when we read our Bibles, our Old Testament and our New Testament, which was mediated to us by prophets and apostles, What we're reading is we are reading the revelation of Almighty God. And so therefore, we don't have the right to add to God's Word. We don't have the right to take away from God's Word. What we're to do is stand on God's Word. Our church stands on the Word of God, unapologetically. Um, And so when it comes to all of the hot-button issues in our culture, when it comes to questions about what's moral and what's immoral, what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false, we're not taking our directions from the culture, nor are we taking our directions from our own subjective feelings. We take our directions from the objective Word of God. The question is always, on any issue, what does the Bible teach? Because what, is, what does the Word say about the Word? In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So because God's Word is breathed out by Him, we believe that it contains no error. We believe that the Bible is totally truthful, and we believe that the Bible is totally sufficient. Our Bible is sufficient to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us, to to complete us, to equip us. We believe that whatever the question is, the answer is found here in God's Word. That God's Word is not only inerrant, but it is, 
sufficient to guide us. Now listen, this is why I believe so strongly in expository preaching. My vision is that our church is going to be built on the exposition of the Word of God. When I talk about expository preaching, I'm talking about preaching that begins with a text of Scripture and both the content and the form of of the sermon takes its cues from the text. It means that we come in Sunday by Sunday and, 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 and we read a passage of Scripture and then we try by God's grace to, to understand it and apply it to our lives so that what we're hearing is not the opinions of a man, but, but, but the Word of God, that, that, God's, that God would speak through His Word. And so therefore, when we engage in, with God's Word Sunday by Sunday, we should do so with a tremendous sense of anticipation and expectancy. Why? That we would hear from God. Because God speaks through His Word. When we walk through uh, books of the Bible expositionally, we get a balanced diet of, of, of doctrine, of, of, of help for all kinds of questions in, in, in Christian living. Uh, we're forced to, to interact with, with difficult texts that we, we, might, we might avoid if we weren't walking through a, a book of, of the Bible, but they're texts that we need. We need them for our growth. God put every text in His Word for a reason. And so there are all kinds of, of, of benefits and just, just walking through the Word expositionally. And really, I believe that, that one of the reasons why so many churches in America are so weak and why there is so, such a, a spiritual and moral decline in America and in Western Europe today is because pastors have not heeded the words that Paul wrote to Timothy long ago in 2 Timothy 4 when he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now what protects us from that? What protects us from wandering off is God's Word. It protects us, and therefore we should protect it. Ichiro Suzuki is the right fielder for the New York Yankees. He'll certainly go into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown one day. Uh, But Ichiro treats his baseball bats as if they're Stradivarius violins. It's amazing. Every one of Ichiro's bats... Is, it's, it's made by hand from uh, Tamo Wood from the northernmost island of Japan, Hokkaido. And when he receives them, he doesn't throw them into a canvas bag. He keeps eight of his bats in a shockproof, moisture-free case. And inside this case with the bats are two bags of, of, of moisture-absorbing pellets. Ichiro treats his bats as if his life depends upon them, and in a way, his livelihood does depend upon them. 
in a much greater way. We are to protect and we are to cherish the Word of God. It's why we, we should want to hear it taught expositionally in a large group like this. It, it's why uh, we should want to be in a class or in a small group where we can discuss the Word of God with brothers and sisters in Christ and, and help one another as we study the Word. It, it's why we should study it privately and, uh, and, 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 and seek to, uh, to, to meditate upon its truths. Later on in chapter 3 of Colossians, we're going to get to verse 16, where Paul says, let the, let the Word dwell within you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. There are a couple of ways that, that we can do that as we walk through Colossians. First of all, I want to encourage you, as, as we're studying this book of the Bible, I want to encourage you to read Colossians again and again. And I encourage you to read it in one sitting again and again. It only takes 10 or 15 minutes, really, to read the entire book of Colossians. It's only 95 verses. And so if you block out about 15 minutes a day and read the letter over and over, how do you read other letters? You read letters in, in one sitting. If you read Colossians in one sitting again and again, what's going to happen is that themes begin to pop. They begin to pop out. And so I encourage you to, to read it over and over. That's just going to enrich our study so much and your, your grasp uh, so much of the letter. And I want to encourage you to do something else. I want to challenge uh, many of you as we're walking through this. And I'm going to do this as we walk through Colossians. But, but I'm going to memorize the book of Colossians as we walk through it. And the way I'm going to do it, it's 95 verses. I'm going to take a verse each day. And each morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit it to, to memory, uh, maybe write it down, or I have, a, I have my Bible on my phone, which is with me always, so I can maybe refer back to it during the day. But, but memorize the verse, and then just chew on it during the day. And pray, pray through that verse during the day, and just kind of encourage yourself with the Word of God. That's called meditation on Scripture. Just take a verse each day and do that. And you know what? What happens is it, it builds. And you can go back and, and review and you'd be shocked, amazed at, at, at how you can memorize even lengthy portions of Scripture. If you do that, let me encourage you. Come up to me and tell me that you're doing it and tell me what God is doing in your life as you do it. Because if you do, it would be absolutely enriching and life-changing and a treasure that you could take with you for the rest of of your life. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, God's Word gives us a place to stand. We stand on the Word of God. Second, our church gives us a place to belong. We not only have a place to stand as believers, but we have a place to belong. Friday, the, the movie about Jackie Robinson hit the theaters. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But I know that Branch Rickey is played by Harrison Ford. Branch Rickey was the general manager for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who was the man who was responsible for bringing Jackie Robinson to the major leagues. I don't know if the movie deals with this or not, but Branch Rickey was a very serious Christian. In fact, it was really his Christianity that informed um, his sense of justice and made him want to do something um, as bold as bringing a black man to the major leagues in 1947. Well, as he was 
making that decision, which he knew was going to create a firestorm. Branch Rickey um, went to see a brother in Christ. Actually, it was, it was his pastor. They were very close friends. And, um, and he was just trying, to, he was wrestling with this and, and praying through it. And so he told his friend that day, he said, can I just have a few minutes just to, just to pray alone? And his pastor said, sure, you know. And so um, he, uh, his pastor continued doing some work. And, and, and Branch Rickey paced his office for about 45 minutes, didn't say a word. And then he spoke up and he said, I've got it. I said, got what, Branch? And he said, I'm getting ready to do something that is, it's full of a lot of pitfalls. <laughs> but it's also filled with a lot of potential for good, said, I'm going to bring Jackie Robinson up to the Dodgers. Now, that's the story behind the story. Branch Rickey, in that moment, needed a brother in Christ. He just, he just needed, to, he needed a brother in Christ for his strength and just to, to pray through it with him. We all need that. Even the Apostle Paul needed that. Look, as he writes, he's in prison in Rome, but he's not alone. What does he say here in verse 1? He says this letter is coming from himself and from Timothy, our brother. Timothy was there in Rome with Paul, as were other brothers in Christ. And, um, and, and Timothy did not write the letter with Paul. That's clear because throughout the letter, Paul refers to himself a lot of times in the first person singular. So it's clear Paul wrote the letter. But Timothy is writing down what Paul is saying. And he was an encourager and a support to Timothy in so many ways. And really, these opening verses, just they're, they're pervaded with this sense of family. The local church as a family... Paul had the support of brothers in Christ, even during his imprisonment. Christian brothers who were, were, were there with him to support him. And these people in the city of Colossae were not alone either. They, they were a family. Uh, they, were, they were a family. He refers to them in verse 2 as the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Um, now we're going to say much more about Colossae as we go on. It was in what would today be the country of Turkey, um, and so it was, which was really a Roman, a Roman province, the Roman province of of, of Asia, and uh, these people were, were living in the midst of a pagan environment. There had never been a church in the city of Colossae before this church. They were living in a culture where the, uh, the, they were, and really most of the people in the church, were coming out of a culture in which the people worshipped a whole pantheon of false gods. They had, they had been idol worshippers. Um, just every kind of false philosophy and, and religion was just floating through the, the atmosphere. The, a lot of the same things that we're dealing with with America in the 21st century, with just the moral, the moral chaos, it was all there. It was all there in Colossae. The Greco-Roman cities like Colossae of the first century, uh, for instance, every, every type of immorality and sexual sin that, and, and the confusion about those things that we see in our culture today, it was all there. It was not only there, it was epidemically there. And it was just, it was, it was, these types of things were open, it was tolerated. It, and, and so these people are living, these, these, 
this group of believers is, is living in, in the midst of this uh, pagan in, environment, but they are making a difference for the Lord. The Colossians had been brought together as, as a family in Christ. He refers to them in verse 2 as, as the saints. Now, when we think about that word, sometimes we think about a, a category of super holy Christians. That, that's not what the word saints means. When you come across this word saints in your Bibles, don't think that. That's really not what it is. The word saints really means just set apart. It means that all believers are, are set apart to shine for Christ wherever he has placed them. Um, and speaking of which, what else does he say about them here in verse 2? He says he's writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Literally in Greek, it says in Christ in Colossae. In Christ in Colossae. Now, this is our dual identity as God's people. We are both in Christ and we are in Suffolk, in Tidewater. Just like these guys were in Colossae. But first of all, we're in Christ. <laughs> first of all, we're in Christ. The most important reality in our lives as believers is the fact that we are in Christ, that we belong to Him. That there is a rock-solid and unchanging part of us that is true wherever we are and in whatever situation that we're in, whatever the circumstances are that are going on around us. If we're in Christ, there is a rock-solid, unchanging inner reality within us. Sam Storms puts it this way. He says, no matter where you are, geographically and physically, what you are spiritually will never change. You may be at work, at play, overseas, under the weather, out of money, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be down in the dumps, over the hill, or beside yourself, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be at paradise or in prison, at the movies, or in Chicago, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. Our physical location never affects our spiritual identity. Before anything else, we belong to Jesus. We are in Christ and that means that we've got an inner reality in our lives that, that nothing and no one can touch. Whatever the circumstances are that are going on around us, we're in Christ. We belong to Him. And that gives us a tremendous sense of peace as we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. So we are in Christ. And secondly, he says that they are in Colossae. God had placed them. In that city, just like he has placed us in this city to make a difference. They were placed in Colossae to impact that city with the gospel. To love the people of that city. And, and to impact them with the gospel of 
of Christ. And they were making an impact. Let's look down at verses 5 and 6. We'll pick it up about midway through verse 5. <clears throat> Paul says of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. <clears throat> this was a growing church. Despite all of the obstacles around them, they were proclaiming the gospel and God was bringing people to himself in Colossae through the proclamation of his word. <clears throat> now listen, we are not just, because we are in Christ, we are to make a difference in Suffolk, in Tidewater. We have been placed here to love the people of this community, to, to love them and to impact them with the gospel. This is our mission field. This is our, our, our vineyard that we are called to work. God has placed you here at this point in time to make an impact for Him. And listen, we are not just in Christ when we're here on Sunday mornings. We're not just in Christ when we have our quiet time each day. We are in Christ as we go to our jobs, as we engage with people in our neighborhoods, as we engage with people in PTA meetings or in Little League games, as we go to school with people. Our in Christness must never be divorced from our everyday lives. When we leave this church campus, we hit the mission field. And the view that the lost people and the unchurched people of this community, the view that they have of this church and the view that they have of our Savior is largely going to be determined by the view that they have of you. Now think about that. You're an ambassador for Christ. We represent Him. Every day, wherever we are, let's represent Him well. Let's represent Him well. We have a place to stand. We have a place to belong. Third, in our local church, we have a place to be blessed. We have a place to be blessed. Paul says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Sometimes when we read a letter and we see Paul's introductory greetings, and he, he usually says grace and peace. Sometimes we skip over that. Like, ah, it's just perfunctory, um, and we don't really pay attention to that. Listen, Paul never wasted words. Not one. He never wasted words. God doesn't waste words. These words, grace and peace, really tell us what the gospel is all about. First of all, the root of the gospel is grace. The root of the gospel is grace. Paul says, grace to you. Listen, every other religion in the world is bottom up. It's about what we can do to earn our earn acceptance with God, to earn God's approval, to 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 work to work our way up to God. Everything is riding on on our effort. That's every other religion in the world. It's bottom up. Christianity is not bottom up. 
Christianity is top-down. Christianity is not a bottom-up religion. It is a top-down relationship. God came down to us because we could never ascend to Him. Jesus achieved for us what we could never achieve for ourselves. And that's grace. That's grace. Someone defined grace this way, using the acrostic and the way that it's spelled. It's a great way to remember it. G-R-A-C-E. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Because Jesus paid it all, we have access to all of the riches of God. Someone else defined grace this way. Grace is unconditional acceptance for undeserving people by an unobligated giver. Listen to that again. Grace is unconditional acceptance for undeserving people given by an unobligated giver. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true, which is what makes grace so amazing. And so the root of the gospel is grace. Secondly, the fruit of the gospel is peace. The fruit of the gospel is peace. The Greek word for peace really comes from the Old Testament Hebrew word shalom. It's the greeting that people still use for one another in Israel today, shalom. And and shalom really means much more than just an absence of conflict. Shalom means a sense of wholeness. It means we have a sense of contentment, a a deep sense of well-being. Ruth Graham used to call it a, a a quiet knowing, that whatever else is happening in our lives, whatever trials we face, we know that it's going to be okay. We've got the peace of God. It, God's peace, is, is, it's, it's a deep abiding sense of okayness. That whatever is going on, you know what, it's going to be okay. Because God reigns, we sung it earlier, right? He is seated on the throne. God is sovereign. And, and when we've trusted in His Son, that sovereign almighty God has adopted us as His own beloved children. And he's, he's credited to our accounts the perfect righteousness of Christ. He, he, Christ has taken all of our guilt. He's imputed to us His perfect righteousness. We're forgiven and free in, in Christ. Uh, God now accepts us unconditionally and completely. He loves us the way that He loves Jesus because we're united to Jesus. Now, is that good news? That's what we have as believers. And, and, and so when we, when we have that, you know what, no matter what else is going on in life, I mean, there's this deep abiding sense of peace, this deep abiding sense of okayness, of, of, of contentment. Um, and so therefore, we're not, no, we're not trying to 
uh, to earn God's approval any, anymore, to earn God's acceptance. We've already been accepted by Him completely and, and, and totally. No, now we want to live for His glory and we want to obey Him and we want to serve Him because we love Him. Because we know we are accepted by Him and we have been adopted by Him and we love Him. And we desire to give and serve and obey and live for His glory because we've already been given everything. And when we really understand that, listen, it just frees us to, just to, to live all out for God. Paul says it in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me now to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, I've already been given everything that I need for life. I don't need anything else. I've got Christ. Jesus really is enough. And when he calls me home, it's just going to be gain. And when that's our perspective, when we've got that deep sense of, of peace, when we really understand what grace and peace are all about, listen, we are free to live just with an abandon for the Lord. In 1980, a young man in Rwanda belonged to a tribe that, that gave him the choice of either renouncing his faith in Christ or being killed. And he refused to renounce Christ. And he was killed on the spot. The next day, they found this in his room. And he had, he had written this the night before his death. He said, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gait is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, and prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, work till He stops me, and when He comes for His own, He will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner will be clear. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that our banner will be clear. Lord, may we live all out for Christ with the one brief life that we have. Lord, help us to live it with eternity in mind. As we just continue to, to, to bow before the Lord just in a time of reflection, before Him. What's God saying to you today? It could be that you came in today without a relationship 
with Christ. The work has been done. Jesus said on the cross, paid in full. Our part is to receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. Would you turn to Jesus today and trust in him? Would you, would you rest in the finished work of Christ for you, what he's done for you? Trust him today. Jesus tells us that when we, we trust in him, that we're, to, we, we're not only to believe in our heart, but he tells us to confess with our mouth, to confess him publicly. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you've decided to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to come. I'm going to be right here at the front. Share with me what God has done in your life today. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I need a place to belong. A local church. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this church family. What He's going to do in the years ahead in this church family. We want to invite you to come today as well. If you're here today just in need of prayer. You just need a brother or sister to, to come alongside and to pray with you. We want to invite you to come. And so, Heavenly Father, we give you this time of decision. Lord, you work. You have your way in our lives, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service of First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.